Well, Heavenly Father, thank you this Father's Day that we can call you Father, and thank you for all the fathers represented in our room today. And Father, we will count upon your promises, and I pray a special blessing on the dads that are here, that they would be sustained and strengthened through the promises of your word. And and even as we enter into our topic today on the return of Christ and the, the end times and what our Bibles have to say about it, would you please especially challenge the hearts of our fathers to lead well and to have our homes prepared and be watching for your return. Father, strengthen us as we take our Bibles and open them and study this morning. Encourage us, convict us, and help us even to worship through the act of listening carefully to your word. Thank you, Lord, for your Holy Spirit that ministers as we use your word and as we open it and receive it. And I pray that today we would grow and be strengthened in our understanding of your instruction to us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. A young lady called on the telephone to my sister's house. My sister is the wife of a pastor in Covington, Virginia, where they have ministered the Covington Bible Church for nearly 40 years, their only church. The young lady's voice was trembling, Kathy said. She said, are you the pastor? When my sister answered the phone at home, she had taken her phone book and was trying to get someone at a church to answer their phone. My sister said, no, I'm not the pastor. I'm the pastor's wife. How may I help you? And the young woman with a trembling voice said, and this was just a little over about a month ago, when the news was filled with the Um, and watching Harold camping in his prophecy that the world was going to end, so to speak. The Lord was going to return on Saturday, May 21st. And this girl said to my sister, they say the world's going to end this Saturday and it's messing with my mind. She had no idea what God's word says. I wonder if you do. I wonder if when you think about the end of the world... If you believe or even understand what God's Word has to say to us, today we're going to launch a a new series. It's a summer series. I want to say a couple things about it as we get going. One is that it's going to be topical in nature. That is, we're not going to necessarily just be studying through a book of the Bible. Lord willing, by fall, we'll pick up a book book study. But this summer, with people coming and going, I thought that it was a good time to do kind of standalone topical messages that deal with what our Bible has to say about the Lord's return and the last days of this world. It's interesting that the Bible speaks quite a bit about it. One of the things I want to challenge you in this message series is that it's a great opportunity for you to take notes. Um, I think that if you will have a pencil and a paper ready, and if you will copy down some of the outline and some of the verses, I believe you will be helped if you'll then on your lunch break or sometime in a quiet time later in the week, uh, if you'll look up some of those verses and, and kind of re, re-read them and, and take in what's happening, and that'll help you. Some of these verses and texts will be repeated throughout the summer. For example, this morning we will be in Matthew 24 quite a bit, but right now I want to invite you to turn to 2 Peter chapter 3 as we begin. I also want to tell you that I admit that uh, when it comes to 
the end times and what our Bible, Bibles have to say, that this is the subject that is called prophecy. And most of you are familiar with that word, but the very word prophecy means that we are talking about things that haven't happened yet. It's history future. It's things that our Bible states are going to happen, but they are yet unfulfilled. And so with that comes uh, uh, somewhat of a struggle. And Bible interpreters struggle to sometimes agree at what some of these passages are saying. And so I'm going to do my best to stick to the text. And where the Bible is clear, we'll be clear. Where there's a question mark, we might throw out some opinions. But we'll say, this is an opinion. This might be what this is. This could be what it's talking about. Here's some ideas what we believe. And we'll do our very best this summer to help all of us at Fellowship Bible Church grow in our grasp and in our understanding of what the Bible has to say about the end times events. I'm happy to say that that young lady who called my sister uh, listened carefully as my sister shared the plan of salvation with her and how she could be sure she was going to heaven if the world did come to an end. And uh, she came to church that Sunday morning, and she met with my brother-in-law, the pastor, and as far as I know, they still have somewhat of a ministry ongoing in her life. I don't know for sure if she ever accepted Christ. I'll have to find out. But I thought that was interesting and that that was an appropriate statement for many of us. This thought of the world coming to an end is messing with my mind. Well, let's find clarity and let's find confidence in the Word of God. I also want to say that our introductory message today, um, that we need to, to deal with some basics. And so today, this is four biblical principles that we need to grasp to prepare ourselves for the return of Christ. There will be four biblical principles that we need to look at this morning as we look at what the Bible says. So by nature of our topical studies, it's going to be instructive some days and challenging other days. Today it's a little more instructive, and so I'm warning you, you're going to have to flip through your Bible a little bit. Now I could put these verses up on the screen, but I'm not going to do that. Because I want you to bring your Bible to church, and I want you to learn how to use your Bible. That's very important. And I want you to see for yourself. It's right there. Take a pen, circle it, write in your Bible, or get you a Bible you can write in. And as I said, have a notebook handy or a piece of paper where you can jot down some of these thoughts. Second Peter chapter 3 is the opening thought as we look at four principles that we need to get a handle on concerning the return of the Lord and the, the end times. And the first thing that I want you to understand is that the Bible speaks with clarity about the Lord's return. And number one, this event is undeniable. This event is undeniable. This reality that there is a day coming when Christ is going to return in the air for his people. He's going to return to the earth. We call this the second coming because the first coming, get it straight in your mind, the first coming of Christ is when he came as a baby and was born of Mary, grew up and went to the cross. That's the first coming of Christ. In a minute, we're going to see why we believe in the second coming of Christ. And I want you to see and I want to argue that our Bible teaches clearly that this is an undeniable event. It occurs to me, however, that there could be folks here this morning that on the inside you think, yeah, right. Because it is kind of bizarre, isn't it? Do you ever stop and think about what we believe the Bible says? What we know the Bible says? And if you believe the Bible, you believe some funny things. 
You believe that a fish swallowed a man and three days later coughed him up on dry land. Pretty bizarre, huh? That's why if you don't understand who God is, his character, his nature, and his attributes, stuff like that will mess with your mind. Then it's not uncommon to get just uh, all kinds of responses from people. And Harold Camping did the church no favors. I'll comment a little more on him in a minute. Making a laughing stock out of Bible-believing Christians and the church who long for the coming of the Lord, who wait for His appearing, who believe that the Bible teaches there will be a literal second coming of Christ in the air. People will look at you like, yeah, right, Harold Camping. But we've been warned about this. And so look at 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 3. 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 3 and 4, and I want you to see what he says. Peter says, first of all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. And here's what they will say. They will say, where is this coming that he promised? Ever since our fathers died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. He goes on to say they deliberately forget. They don't really want to know the truth most of the time. And they're skeptics. And maybe you're a skeptic today. I hope you'll give God's word a chance. And I hope you'll uh, listen carefully as we show you from God's word what some of the teachings are about these last day's events. The most uh, focal point of it all is the return of Christ. Peter says, watch out, there will be skeptics. And they say, everything's just going on the way it's always gone on and nothing's going to change. Where's his coming? And this is the passage. We're going to study this in depth later this summer. But you'll see in this passage that he says, but I remind you that one day with the Lord is as a thousand years and a thousand years is as one day. And don't grow weary of waiting for the Lord. He is patient, not wanting anyone to perish, but for people to come to repentance in Christ. And so as the Lord tarries, one of the great goals of our waiting is to reach out with the gospel to a needy world. And don't we live in a needy world today? And don't you see how the gospel is the only answer? That the common ground of the cross of Christ is the only thing that really brings relief from the division and the sinfulness of our wicked world. And so we expect to be mocked. We expect to be laughed at. It doesn't surprise us that there's skeptics out there. But I want to point out to you, first of all, in this passage, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 4, where he says, they will say, where is this coming he promised? And so let's build some evidence from the word of God and let's write a list of why we believe in the second coming of Christ. How do we know he's coming? How do we know this is an undeniable event? First of all, I want you to see that Jesus predicted it. Peter references that that he talked about. That's talking about Christ and what he taught them. The first thing we want to look at is that Jesus predicted it. And so turn in your Bibles to John chapter 14. John's gospel in chapter 14. As you're turning to John's gospel, and I hear the pages ruffle, I want to, I want to challenge you that if you don't know the books of the Bible, you need to learn them. And if you don't know how to turn in your Bible to the books of the Bible... 
Why don't you take time, find the index in the front of your Bible, and start memorizing them a couple a day. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges. Some of you know songs, or you can go to the internet and download a, a books of the Bible song. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Acts, and the letter to the Romans. And you can get them down. And some of you, and you know it, every time I have you turn in your Bible, that little song kicks on in your head, and you go all the way through it, and you finally get to 2 Corinthians, and you go. And you know where it is. But you know that if you have children in your home, even if they're not so young, you can do a sword drill. It's so old, it's new. But at dinner table, just grab your Bibles, have everybody have their Bible. And if you have younger kids, it's especially effective. And everybody gets their Bible, and they have to hold it up by the spine. And then you say, draw your swords, because this is our sword. The Word of God is, the sword is the Word of God. And you hold up your sword around the table. And then somebody says, like Dakota, would you call on Dakota first at the Martin household? Okay, Dakota, you pick a verse. And he would say, like the only one he knows, John 3.16. <laughs> Okay? And so that's a good one. And so you would say, John 3.16. And then everybody's holding their Bible, and then everybody repeats it. John 3.16. And then Dad says, charge. And then that means look it up. And the first person to find it reads it. And if you have a little sword drill, see, and you can do this even in teenagers. Oh, Mom, Dad, you do it. Because they don't know their Bible. And they think they're too cool to know their Bible. But I'll tell you something. When you don't know your Bible, it's not cool. And uh, so you need to learn your Bible, and then you can do that. And so I want to challenge Fellowship Bible Church this summer because we're going to be flipping through our Bibles a lot. And I want to challenge you to know your Bible and be able to turn in it and use it. Back to John 14, verse 1. Are you there? Look what Jesus said. His disciples are gathered around him, and Jesus says in this most familiar passage, he says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms, the NIV says. In the King James, you're familiar with this passage, saying many mansions. It's a word that translates like apartments or dwelling units, townhouses that are connected. And in, in these many units in my Father's house. And if it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. One of the things Jesus is doing right now is preparing a place for us in heaven. What a great thought. Believers in the Lord Christ. He says, and if I go and prepare a place for you, look what he says. I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. And this is the passage where then Thomas speaks up for us because it's the question, well, Lord, if you're there and how do we know the way there? And Jesus says, and you know the way there. And Thomas says, no, we don't know the way there. And then Jesus says, John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth and the life. And no one comes unto the Father. But by me. You see, this gospel is an exclusive gospel, my friend. All roads do not lead to heaven. And everyone will not be ready for Jesus at his return. And so, one of the most important things you can do as you receive God's word on a morning like this, when it's peaceful and it's quiet in our community and we're not disrupted and we're able to listen to God's word, is to listen to the still small voice of the Holy Spirit in your heart and make sure you know your sin is forgiven and that you're ready for the return of Christ. And that heaven is secured and hell is no threat. And you do that by putting your faith and trust in Christ alone. He died on the cross to carry your sin and to give you his righteousness so that we can stand before God one day wrapped in the righteousness of Christ. 
And when he checks in about our sin, we say, Jesus took it. And he said, where'd you get this righteousness? I received it from Christ. It's Christ's righteousness. And it's my coat. It's the only thing that gets me into heaven is the righteousness of Christ. And that great exchange is taken at the cross, is made at the cross. Have you been to the cross? Do you know Jesus Christ as your Savior? Have you dumped your sin and received his righteousness? And you can stand holy before him. Listen, Jesus said exclusively, that's the only way to heaven. Well, Jesus predicted it. Jesus predicted it, John 14, 1. But now I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 24. Matthew's gospel in chapter 24. And this passage now, I want you to mark with your, with your pen or a piece of paper or something. Because we're going to be back here a couple more times. Matthew chapter 24 is an interesting and extended passage of Scripture about the last days where Jesus and his disciples have a little Q&A time and he does some teaching. All summer long we will be in this passage and uh, granted there's some parts of it that are difficult to understand. This morning we're going to look at the parts where he's talking about his return. So how do we know that the return of Christ is a biblically undeniable event First of all, Jesus predicted it, John 14, 1, and now Matthew 24, look at verses 42 through 44. Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he says, therefore, verse 42 of Matthew 24, therefore, keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. Okay? The Lord is coming, you better watch it. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and he would not have let his house be broken into. Verse 44 is key. So you must also be ready because the Son of Man, that is a name that Jesus often referred to himself by, the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. So you have a skeptic looking at you and saying, you believe in the return of Christ? I absolutely believe in the return of Christ because Jesus himself predicted it. John 14, 1, Matthew 24, 42. Well, why else do you believe it? Secondly, I want you to see that the angels pronounced it. The angels pronounced it. Flip over, Mark, Matthew 24, we'll be back. Flip over to Acts chapter 1. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts Okay, look at Acts chapter 1, and this is that passage where 40 days after the resurrection of Christ, our Lord is there with his disciples, and it is a most remarkable scene. And we've talked about this not too long ago, but just think of being there. He talks to them, he gives them the great commission and, uh, to go into Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. That's why we go to Canada, that's why we go to New Mexico, that's why we go to Africa with the gospel. And then verse 9 of Acts chapter 1, he said, He was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid them from their sight. And they were looking intently up into the sky. I guess so. What a wild scene. You're talking to your Lord. You're trying to understand his teachings. And then all of a sudden, whoop! like a balloon going up into the clouds. There he goes. And I take this, the only way I know to understand this is that it was literal and bodily and physical. And it happened. Because these grown men are standing there looking up into heaven. And they're trying to put it all together. And then the angels speak these two messengers. Look what it says. Verse 10. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going 
where he was going, as he was going up, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? Now look, this same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. There's a lot of parts of our Bible that are difficult to understand, and that's not one of them. He went up into heaven, and he's coming back to to earth from heaven. So not only did Jesus predict it, but the angels pronounced it. Now you need to see, as we've already have in Peter, 2 Peter chapter 3, don't turn there. Turn instead to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, I warned you would be turning in our Bibles. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and I want you to see subpoint 3 under the fact that this is an undeniable event taught in our Bibles that the apostles preached it. The apostles preached it. Paul, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, in a number, and this is not exhaustive, in many passages taught the return of Christ. And 1 Thessalonians 4, I want you to see that the apostle Paul clearly taught that the Lord was going to return. Let people be skeptical if they want. Do not be embarrassed to believe your Bible. Do you understand? Do not be embarrassed to believe what your Bible says, even if you can't understand it or give ultimate explanation. Listen, we live in a day where it is very unpopular, for example, to believe things that our Bible teaches that science can't prove. I noticed this week the cover issue of my Christianity Today magazine is questioning who the real Adam is because they're doing genome work and genetics work and they're not finding common, common genetic ancestry around the world. And so they're questioning whether or not Adam and Eve are real people who really lived. Well, let me tell you something. I don't have to have an explanation. If the Bible means anything and it does, then they were real people. They really lived and there it is. But you see, theologians in some of our leading higher education schools, even in evangelical circles, are embarrassed when they cannot rationalize and bring together what the Bible teaches with science. Don't be embarrassed about your Bible. Stick with your Bible. They don't have the answer on genetics either, and they can't prove who Adam was genetically. And the Bible has a pretty good story about it, and it's a real story. It's true. It's God's Word. And the same thing with these truths about the Lord's return. Don't be embarrassed. Look how clear God's Word is. Look what Paul says. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 15. Look what he says. According to the Lord's own Word. Okay, I'm telling you, Jesus told me this. He taught me this. We tell you that we who are alive and still alive, who are left till the coming of the Lord. Okay, this was an event that they were waiting on. Until the coming of the Lord will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep or died in Christ. For the Lord himself, verse 16, 1 Thessalonians 4, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first, and then after that we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. There it is. He's coming back. Now, I know that some of these passages raise all kinds of questions. We're going to try to deal with those questions all summer long. We're building evidence this morning for a biblical basis of 
clarity, an understanding that this is an undeniable event, this return of the Lord. Jesus predicted it. Angels pronounced it. The apostles preached it. Paul said it in 1 Thessalonians 4. Peter preached it in 2 Peter 3. James preached it in chapter 5, verses 7 through 9. You don't have to turn there. And John preached it in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 28. Let me repeat those in case you're writing them down. It couldn't be any clearer. James says he's waiting at the door, ready to come. James 5, 7 through 9. James 5, 7 through 9. And John preached it, 1 John 2, 28. The great hope of the believer is his appearing. 1 John 2, 28. The Bible teaches this clearly with such clarity. It is indeed an undeniable event. But here's a point that might be of a little more interest to some of you. You need to know that when we talk about the Lord's return and the launching of these end times events in Bible prophecy, secondly, that the time is unpredictable. The time is unpredictable. Let's look at a couple passages. You've been holding uh, Matthew chapter 24. This is the clearest one. If you've marked Matthew 24, let's return there. And this is the clearest passage. And if you're taking notes, you'll want to look up Acts chapter 1 verse 7. We were just in the first chapter of Acts on the Lord's departure and the promise of his return. And there as well, he says, no one knows the time or the dates of the unfolding of these events. No one knows except my father in heaven. Let's look clearly at Matthew 24 and verse 36. Now, Matthew 24, verse 36. He says, and this is Jesus teaching his disciples. No one knows about that day or hour. He's talking about his return Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. He then goes on to use Noah's ark as an illustration that this is an un... The timing of this event, like the people who were mocking Noah and the people who were going on with their lives around the construction of the ark, they had a sign in front of them, it was the construction of the ark... But they didn't believe Noah's preaching. They didn't believe that God was going to use, make it rain, that they would need a boat. And it will come at a time when no one expects it. It's unknown. Some people want to know, how can Jesus be God and not know the time of this event? That's a good question. I believe, I can't prove this, but here's what I think. I think that it's most likely that today, as our Lord Jesus ascended back into heaven, seated at the right hand of Father, of the Father, his great work of salvation accomplished on our behalf, as he represents his church before the Father, that he knows exactly the day when he's going to return. And I think what he's referencing here is in his humanity, though he was deity, he voluntarily limited some of his use of his attributes. And I don't know that you can prove biblically that Jesus today limits the usage of any of his attributes. However, it could be that by the Father's sovereign oversight, that this return of Christ is only in the mind of the Father. And so I picture the great throne room of God where no one can look, and these wheels and beings and creatures with wings with all the eyes underneath, they try to look at them, but then they have to cover, and they sing, and they praise, and there's smoke, and there's lightning, and seated at the right hand of the Father is Jesus. And he's representing us. That's a good thing, isn't it? Oh, Jesus, that's one of mine right there. Don't worry, he's safe. We're good. And on we go. And one day, the Father will reach over, as it were, and give Jesus the elbow and say, Go now. 
And that's the when Jesus is going to find out. But I tend to believe Jesus must know in his deity that he must know in his omniscience. But Jesus says here, at least while he was on earth with his disciples, that at that point, he did not exercise the insight to know. Only the Father knows, and he's going to get the elbow one day, and he's going to come back, and nobody knows. And so you say, well, what about a guy like Harold Camping? Yeah, what about him? You talk about making a fool out of yourself? Can the Bible be any clearer? You know, back in 1994, he did it before. And he was wrong. And he convinced his followers, sell your stuff. They put up thousands of billboards. They put signs on the sides of their vehicles. They warned everybody that Saturday, May 21st, 2011, the Lord is going to return. It's going to launch the apocalypse. The world is coming to an end. And what did he do besides give Jay Leno fodder? to mock the church and the Bible. That's all he did. And if you're part of a ministry that is predicting dates, get out of it. Never send them money. The Bible couldn't be clearer. And the time is unpredictable. You need to realize that this is not a new thing, though, with Harold Camping. This has been going on for a long time. In fact, in 53 AD, do you know why the Apostle Paul wrote the letter that we call now 1 Thessalonians and then followed up with 2 Thessalonians? He wrote them the letter because they thought the Lord had returned and they had missed it. And he wrote them to tell them, calm down, you haven't missed his return. And they had even quit their jobs. Back in 1843, a guy named Miller, he, he gained such a following in 1843, they became the Millerites. He talked them into selling all their stuff, and on the date that they selected, I won't take time, it's in my notes, he, the date they selected, the people literally got ladders out, climbed up ladders, and sat on their rooftops waiting for the Lord to return. I wonder, what kind of an idiot do you feel like by the time you walk down that ladder at sundown, or at 12.01 a.m. the next day? Well, it doesn't stop there. There was a guy named uh, Russell, Charles Russell, who picked up on the teachings of the Millerites. They kind of faded out because he made so many predictions that the Lord was going to return and it never happened that he kind of lost momentum. But in 1914, 50 some years later, 50 years later, a guy named Charles Russell picked up on these end times predictions and he predicted that the Lord was going to return. And guess what? That evolved into a religious organization that we now know as the Jehovah's Witness, Witnesses and they are known for their predictions of the Lord return and they don't do it as much anymore because they've done it about 12 times with great emphasis and great renown and it has never happened starting like in 1904 and 1909 and 1911 and they keep changing the date well this stuff still goes on there's a guy in 1988 who wrote a book that swept through our churches and evangelical circles called 88 reasons why the Lord will return in 1988 and he got rich over the book now, he, I don't think that he specifically had a date. He just said that in the year 1988, sometime. So in that way, he kind of covered himself and said, well, I haven't said the exact moment. But based upon when Israel became a, a nation state in 1948 and that one more generation would be complete and if you make a generation 40 years and that it has to happen in 1988 and his book sold like wildfire and then the Lord didn't come in 1988. And so the man turned around and wrote a book called 89 Reasons the Lord's Going to Return in 1989. He really did. And guess what? People bought it. Not as many as the first one. Come on, people. Our Bible is clear. 
It's unpredictable. Let's learn a new word, though, in case you don't know it. And we don't have time to expand upon it, but I want to get you a vocabulary word. Okay, class? Here's your vocabulary word. Eminent. Eminent. It starts with an I. All right? It starts with an I. I uh, forgot to double check. I spelled it I-M-M-I-N-E-N-T. Is that right, Janie? I-M-M, she said probably, I-M-E-N-T. If she said probably, then it's 99.9% sure that it's true. Okay? Um, imminent. What does eminent mean? It comes from a word that if you would picture stepping out on a porch and it has an overhang and the overhang is hanging by a thread, that the overhang is about to collapse. That's kind of a mental imagery of what the word eminent means. It means that it's overhead and it's about to happen. Now, you need to understand with our word eminent that it does not mean soon. Eminent does not mean soon. Soon means soon. It's going to happen right away. Do you know that the, even since the apostles wrote, talking about the coming of the Lord, that the New Testament is couched in the language of eminency, not soon? We often will say, hey, the Lord's coming back soon. Well, how do you know? Because we have stink bugs all over our garage and in our kitchen, and it's a pestilence. And the Bible says that one of the signs of the times is going to be these pestilences and these creatures that are going to come out of the earth. Maybe yes, maybe no. It doesn't mean soon. It means it could happen at any time. And, and any time since his return, there is nothing that has to happen for the Lord to return. It could happen any time. And I remind you of Second Peter chapter 3 where he says, Listen, one day with the Lord is as a thousand years. And a thousand years is as a day. Okay? In other words, God is outside of time. And he's not slow in keeping his promises. He's right on time, Peter said. And it could happen at any time. And so we live with a sense of the imminent return of Christ. So I hope you have that straight. We don't predict his coming, but we know. And, and it seems as if the clock is picking up speed, doesn't it? Our third point in believing that the Lord will return is that and the basic that we need to understand is that the signs are unmistakable. There are unmistakable signs of his return. The signs are unmistakable. Are you still in Matthew 24? If not, return there to Matthew chapter 24. And now let's look at verses, uh, verse 1 at the very beginning. And notice what Jesus says, and we, don't, we will develop these further and look at more of the signs of the times in the future and what we can learn from them. But let me just click some off that Jesus gave. And this is why we have sometimes a mindset in the church that the prophetic time clock is picking up speed. And it could be soon, we say, that the Lord will return. That's not really accurate, but look what Jesus said. He left the temple, Matthew 24, 1. And was walking away when his disciples came up to him to call his attention to its buildings. Do you see all these things, he asked? I tell you the truth, not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. As Jesus, verse 3, was sitting on the Mount of Olives, hence we get the name the Olivet Discourse for this passage, the disciples came to him privately. They didn't understand what he said in public. So in private, they said, Jesus, tell us, when will this happen? What will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? When are you going to come back? When is this going to happen? And Jesus answered, watch out that no one deceives you for 
Sign number one, great apostasy and false Christs. Many will come in my name claiming I am the Christ and they will deceive many. A widespread deception will take place. A great apostasy or many false Christs. John, in his epistle, 1 John, talks about many antichrists are in the world today. And it's true. We could make a list of them. So sign number one that is unmistakable, there will be many who do, who reject Christ. I don't know how you feel about it. I might be biased in my understanding of current events, but it seems to me that it's more, uh, it's easier to be a Muslim even than it is to be a Christian. That it's, that they will even make sure you get a proper burial at sea if they sniper you. How many Christians are they worried about? That the, the most politically incorrect, incorrect thing you could be today is a born-again Christian follower of Christ and say you believe the Bible's true. Because they don't like Christ and it's growing, isn't it? Secondly, there will be wars and rumors of war. Look what he says. You, verse 6, you will hear of wars and rumors of war, but see to it that you are not alarmed. God's people are not to be frightened. It's hard sometimes, isn't it? They say that in the 20th century, we're early into the 21st century, right? In the 20th century, the years of the 1900s, that more war and killing took place in that 100-year period than all of the history of mankind combined to date that they can calculate. We had our great world wars. We had events like Hiroshima and Nagasaki wiping out entire cities and people groups. Horrible atrocities took place. I'm not questioning the leadership of our generals in World War II. What do you do to bring that war to an end? But it's horrible and horrific no matter which side you're on. And these wars and rumors of war continue. And so that's one of the signs. In the last hundred years, if there's been more war and rumor of war and killing than there has ever been in the history of the world combined, wouldn't you say that it looks like his coming is soon, it's imminent, it's going to happen, it's not soon, we got to get out of that mindset. But it could happen, and it's one of the things, and he calls it here in a minute, verse 8, let your eyes fall down there, and these are the beginning of birth pains, labor pains. How do they start? Well, I've never really experienced this, but it's kind of like this, isn't it? Ooh. That's as far as I'll go. I don't know what else to do. It's like, whoa, oh, something's going to happen. There's a tweak, there's a pain, and then the labor pains continue, don't they? And they increase, and they increase in, in uh, rapidity uh, um, and, and in uh, intensity. They get worse, and they're closer together, and it's going to happen. And that's the word picture used for the Lord's return. And so for 2,000 years, there's been birth pangs. But it looks to me like it's accelerating and the time of birth is soon. There's going to be a great apostasy of falling away. Number one, there's going to be wars and rumors of war. There's going to be worldwide disasters. I won't even comment on that. But do you know that from the, from the reporting in the media that it seems like every day a major disaster takes place? One of the questions is, is there more of it happening? Are the birth pangs increasing or is the reporting just more? Uh, intense? Do we have more technology bringing it, piping it in on our internet and on our televisions so that there's continual reporting? Because there has been major catastrophic events throughout history. But does it seem to you, or is it just me, 
that major volcanic activity is on the increase in my lifetime. Major earthquake activity is on the increase in the last 50 years in my lifetime. Major famines. We live in a time where there's greater resource known to mankind and as many or more people are starving to death than ever. What is that all about? I'll tell you, it's about the corrupt, sinful hearts of people around the world. And the abuses that people can heap upon people. I'm telling you, they're birth pangs. You want a sign of the time? There's one of them. You could write down a dramatic rise or increase in godlessness. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. Excuse me, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. Don't turn there. But Paul clearly says to Timothy, in the last days, wickedness will increase. How many of you would not raise your hand to say, in answer to the question in the affirmative, we are living in increasingly wicked days? How can it not be? Godlessness and wickedness is certainly on the rise. So there are some things that all point, and you know it's just like creationism. It's just like everything else about our Bible. When you look at current events through the lens of Scripture, you don't say, nah, that isn't happening. You always just say, wow, that's exactly what's happening. Same thing, same thing. There it is. The signs are unmistakable. The time is unpredictable. To be unprepared is inexcusable. Our last point, and let's go home. Celebrate Father's Day. May I speak to you fathers here? We're still in Matthew 24, aren't we? Let's go back to the word picture that Jesus already used with his disciples in Matthew chapter 24, beginning with verse 42. He said, we read this earlier, Therefore keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have had let his house be broken into. So you also must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. I think it's appropriate in light of Father's Day that I speak directly to fathers as we wrap up our opening message on these end times events and the Lord's return. And let's use the word picture that our Lord Jesus gave us in conclusion. There's a house, and there's a family that lives in the house, and there's an owner of the house. There's a strong man in the house. If there's father present, it's almost always him, isn't it? He's the one that oversees the house, basically. It's his house. He works hard to pay the bills. Fathers, I want to just say a couple things to you. If you're not thinking about the Lord's return, don't expect your kids to think about the Lord's return. If you don't care about the Lord's return, don't expect your wife to care about the Lord's return. And I don't care what anybody says about the shift in our culture and our society. I still tell you that Papa has the influence in the home. That Daddy's influence matters so much. And that Mama wants it and the kids look for it that it's often an unspoken thing? And so will you think about your house and think about the analogy that Jesus uses here as a thief coming in the night? Do you know that four times in Scripture, including this, his return is used in this metaphor of a thief in the night? It's 1 Thessalonians 5.2. 1 Thessalonians 5.2. The day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. Hence the popular 70s movie, 
a thief in the night about the Lord's return. Scared the daylights out of me when I was 11 years old. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 2. 2 Peter 3.10 I will come upon you as a thief and you will not know what hour I will come. 2 Peter 3.10 Revelation 3.3 Revelation 3.3 I will come like a thief and you will not know at what time I will come to you. And then here in Matthew chapter 24 it seems like an odd word picture for our Lord Jesus to compare himself to a thief. So it's not a comparison of his character or his intent but it does have to do with a taking away, doesn't it? It does have to do with coming in at a time when no one's watching. It does have to do with a time when the, when the home dwellers are unexpecting. And so Father, three questions for this Father's Day in light of the Lord's return and your leadership in your home. Question number one, are my children safe? Are my children safe? That is, if you know a thief is coming in the night, the first thing you're going to do is know where your children are and that they're safe. And so the only way you can have your children safe is to have them ready for the Lord's return, and that is to do everything in your power to point them to Jesus Christ and lead them to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And even if your children are grown and at a, in a time when you were raising them, you did not teach Christ to them, why don't you write them a letter? Why don't you take them out to eat? Why don't you bring them over? And say, oh, they'll get offended. It's better to offend them than let the thief come without them knowing it. Say, I beg of you, children, listen to me. You must know Jesus. Listen, we'll, we'll work harder convincing our kids what kind of car to buy or how not to use a credit card than we will begging them to follow Christ. What good is it to gain the whole world but to forfeit your soul to hell? You better be broken. And fathers, are your children ready? Second question, is my house prepared? If I know the thief is coming, then I'm going to have the house ready. The doors are locked. Many of you, that's your job right before you go to bed, isn't it? I check the doors. Go upstairs. Look over at the closet where the heat is. Okay, I'm ready. If they break through the door and I hear them, we have a chance. I'm prepared. My house is ready. Is your house ready for the Lord to return? What will he find in your family room? Maybe he'll find you at a time when you're not prepared and you're enjoying things that he died on the cross for and he comes as a thief in the night and you're sprawled out on the couch entertaining yourself with sin. You're not ready. Get your house ready. If Papa doesn't care, then nobody else in the house will probably care. Third question. Am I on full alert? Look what Jesus said. Had you known what time, verse 43, the thief was coming, he would have kept watch. Oh, Betsy would have been across your lap. You'd have been up in your little boy's treehouse in the backyard. The house would be quiet. The doors watch. And let him sneak around my back porch. little sign on the door says, Anybody seen here at night? We'll be seen here in the morning. <laughs> because why? Because you're on alert, Right? You're ready. I'm ready. Let the thief come. I'm prepared. That's what Jesus is talking about. My children, my house, and my heart and mind are ready for his return. 
Do you have that mentality? Are you ready? It's not make-believe stuff we're talking about here. Not making this stuff up. We just got it out of the Bible. It's right there. And everything we said today, none of it's controversial, no matter which background you come from. It's right there. Everybody agrees on everything I've said so far. There it is. Let's bow in prayer. Father, we look forward to the day when we'll be with you, we'll be like you, for we will see you as you are. What a joy it will be to be in heaven for all of eternity. In the meantime, Lord, may we be faithful servants and may we be prepared. Father, would you heighten our awareness? Would you give us an alertness? Give us an ability to focus and to realize that this world is so temporary and that we've got to be ready for the return of our Lord Jesus. So do your work, Lord. Those that need to be saved, save them. Draw them unto yourself. Father, don't let them leave without admitting their sinfulness and calling out to you for their salvation. For those of us who live in disarray and carelessness and are poor stewards of our time and our property, would you please help us get our households in order? And Father, for, for every dad here today, would you light a fire in them Give them a burning heart, Lord, that Fellowship Bible Church would be characterized by dads who are on full alert, living in light of the Lord's return. And may it change everything about us. And it's in his great name that we pray. Amen.